Hey, I, I missed being with you all last week. Uh, we spent some time with our, our family, our, our kids, and uh, we're up in Columbus, Ohio, and we're able to worship with all of them on, on Mother's Day, so that was was nice. And then used a few vacation days this week, and uh, we did an anniversary trip, went down to, to Madison, Indiana, and I had a, a nice getaway down there, so uh, I'm refreshed and ready to be back and serving with you, and Today we're in the the final message of this series, Forming Spiritually Fit Families. And this is the final message, and in some ways it it may be the most important message. And it's the idea of passing the spiritual torch to our kids. Uh, Solomon wrote in in Psalm 127, beginning in verse 3, Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Children are a gift, a solemn responsibility from God. And in this passage, it uses this metaphor of of arrows that must be pointed in the right direction. Our, our children must be guided toward the proper target. And we want to transfer to those who come after us the love for Christ and his church, which flames in our lives. And, and so today we conclude this series with this message on passing that spiritual torch to our kids. This morning, you may not be married, you may not have children. But as a Christian adult, you still serve as a a spiritual uncle or aunt and can help come alongside and and partner in this effort. And so I don't think it takes a village to raise a child. I think it takes a church family to raise a child. So whether you have children or grandchildren or not, in the church we all have this collective responsibility of passing this spiritual torch. The the church is always just one generation away from extinction. We're engaged in this spiritual warfare with our adversary, Satan. Our our culture is working to snuff out Christianity. And so when one door closes, we must look for a way to open a window and keep the message of Christ going on in a culture that really doesn't want to hear it. And so we want to share the old, old story to a new generation who in many cases have never yet heard that Jesus' love brought him to earth, that Jesus' love brought him to Calvary for them. So today, Christian adults, we have a, a duty to impart spiritual values to the next generation. Let's examine four key values that we will impart that will help provide and prepare future generations for for fruitful living and for eternal life. We need to make a good handoff on four values to the next generation. Value number one is unconditional love. The, The Bible is clear that God really loves us. He is interested in each individual. He made us. He knows what is best for us. He wants us to follow his way 
because that is what is best for us. It gets the best results. Next week, we'll be celebrating our, our graduates, and I look forward to speaking on that theme of, of them preparing for life and, and going forward. But as I often say, life just works better when you do it God's way, right? I mean, we've all thought, I, I know the Bible says this, but I, I'd kind of really rather do it this way. Or I know God, you know, and the church suggests this, but, you know, everyone else feels like this is okay. I, I, I'm going to do it this way. And when we've departed from the path of righteousness, we paid the consequences for that, haven't we? And, and so uh, life just works better when you do it God's way. And I want you to understand God's unconditional love for all. It says in Romans 8, 38, 39, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That value needs to be caught by our kids, that God loves them unconditionally. There's nothing that can separate us, it says, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And young people will begin to sense their value when they understand that their real worth comes from being made in the image of God and loved unconditionally by him. Our culture misleads us to believe that we have value if we are pretty, handsome, smart, rich, athletic, popular, successful, and if we own the right possessions. That's what the world tells us. So so no wonder with this unrealistic pressure, so many young people are trying to escape with drugs, sex, and suicide. The Bible conveys a more substantial value system that defines our worth. Uh, There's no greater source of intrinsic value that exists than to realize that the omnipotent creator of the universe individually fashioned each one of us. We were worth so much to him that our heavenly father sent his son to restore our disrupted relationship with him. And if that weren't too difficult to fathom, he wants to be in daily fellowship with each of us, not a distant deity, but an available almighty. In Matthew 6, verse 26, Jesus said, look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not far more valuable to him than they are? In order to have spiritually fit families, we want our children to grasp the true source of their value, being made by God and loved unconditionally by him, defines each of us as unique and divinely prepared. We need to understand that that worth comes from being loved unconditionally by God. And being a parent, I think, helps one understand 
God's unconditional love for us. While a child might anger, disappoint, upset you, there's nothing that could prevent you from loving him or her. And that's what Romans 8.39 is stating. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And since we love our children so much, it's important that we learn to communicate to them their value so they will learn to love themselves. And so how can we do that? Well, I think we can convey that worth by supporting them with our presence at, at special events. Let them know that you are in their corner by showing up and being there in their corner. At, at ball games, at recitals, at plays, at school events. Robin Jones Gunn wrote about when she was a teenager, she was a server at a restaurant. And she was back in the kitchen, and one of the other servers came in and said, hey, there's this creepy older guy that asked if you were working and said he only wanted to be served by you. And so uh, he's out there. And she looked out through the, through the window, and she goes, oh, yeah, that's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> So he really wasn't a creepy older guy. He was a, a parent who was trying to show with his presence, hey, I'm in your corner. You're working. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to come and sit at your table. I'm going to leave you a great tip. So that's a way that we convey worth. I want you to listen to, to this passage. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. For all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. The first value is that God loves us with an unconditional love. There's nothing you could do that would make God love you more or less. The second value that we need to hand off to the next generation is exceptional service. And part of the curse of being born in America, and there are many blessings, more upside than down, but part of the downside is there's this entitlement mentality that many possess. And there can be this dangerous tendency to, to use people, to expect constant attention, to demand that, that others serve us. I like the quote that says, it used to be that people were enjoyed and things used, but now often things are enjoyed and people used. The value in Christ's kingdom is the value of exceptional service. We are to think about the needs of others, not just our own needs, not just what's in it for me, not just what can I 
get out of this. We are to serve others and not expect or demand that people serve us all the time. And this was always God's expectation. It's been that way since the beginning. But let's keep going in Ephesians 2, dropping down to verse 10. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, this wasn't just some afterthought that God said, oh, oh yeah, maybe we could have people help each other and, and, and do good and serve each other. Yeah, that's an idea. No, this was in advance. This was always the plan. This was always his script. Is that I need you, you need me, we, we need each other. And, and we're to be looking for those ways of serving others exceptionally. And, and as we do that, we find out the life is a lot more fulfilling than if we're just looking out for all number one. And the earlier we begin teaching the respect of other people and their property, the easier it will be to impart that value to our kids. We do this with horses to prepare them for adult life through the, the process of imprinting. Soon after a foal is, is, is born, is handled and rubbed with a towel and introduced to spray bottles and electric clippers. And then foals grow up more accustomed to being handled by a vet or a farrier, having fly repellent sprayed on them, being groomed for a show. And it's far simpler to socialize a 100-pound foal than it is to wait and tackle the task with a 1,000-pound full-grown horse. And it's no different with children. It just makes sense to shape the clay while it is still moist, pliable, and receptive before it becomes hardened, resistant, and solidified. If we overindulge our young, we can foster a selfishness in them. And we want to instill a balance that, that sees and serves the, the needs of others. And that really goes right along with the third value, which is intentional respect. In the second greatest commandment, Mark 12, 31, we see that we are to love others as we love ourselves. I think all children are born with a, a very egocentric worldview. But when hungry, a baby wants to be fed. When thirsty, a baby wants a bottle right now. When wet, a baby wants to be changed, and we'll let you know about that with volume. We selfishly approach life with this me-first mindset that is preoccupied with the primary satisfaction of my needs. And hopefully, as we grow and mature, we realize that being self-absorbed and ignoring the needs of others is juvenile, lonely, and ultimately, uh, unfulfilling. As we mature, we respect and, and love others. Our, our lives are actually enriched. Love others as you love yourself, Jesus said. In Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And so parents have a responsibility to teach children to respect others, to, to teach them the golden rule of Jesus. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And while we are parenting, we should remember that principle as adults and let it not only guide the young ones with whom we've been charged to rear, but let it influence the way that we approach life as well. Now, finally, the, the most importantly, we, we need to teach kids to live with value number four, eternal focus. It's great to help prepare your child for adult life, helping him or her achieve independence and become a productive member of society. That, that's noble. And, and all parents want to help launch their children into adult life. But even more important than helping them prepare for adult life and launching them is to help them prepare for eternal life. And parents, we realize the limitations of free will. We can't make those personal, eternal decisions for our offspring. As much as we would love to do that, we cannot. Each young person or adult must choose to love the Lord, to live for the Lord, to serve the Lord, and they must make that choice of their own volition. We can guide and help influence, but we cannot make that decision. All are invited to follow Christ and to fully surrender their lives to him, to, to voluntarily kneel and, and submit by doing life his way. And this is a message for all of us today. Am I living my life in a way that pleases God? Or am I living my life the way I want to? My way. You know, the, the Frank Sinatra approach. Um, God's word is clear that there's coming a day when all will bow before the Lord. We can do it now voluntarily or we can be forced into conscription and subjugated on the day of judgment. Listen to Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. There's coming a day when everyone will be in agreement on that. It just makes more sense to opt for that now and live your life with those values now and not fear the event of, of Christ's return and the end of the world. Our, our children need our consistent examples. More is caught than is ever taught. Albert Schweitzer said, example isn't the best method of teaching, it's the only method. Dr. James Dobson spoke about observing his, his father's prayer life and the, the quiet impact that that had on him 
deciding to follow the Lord. He told of going hunting with his dad on cool, crisp mornings in the woods. He said, watching the sun emerge slowly from the darkness. And Dobson made this statement. He said, it was there that I decided I wanted this man's values for my values. I wanted this man's God for my God. I like the way the Living Bible paraphrases Titus 2, 7. It says, let everything you do reflect your love of the truth and the fact that you are in dead earnest about it. Our children are watching our every move during their early years, and they want to know what is most important to us. And if we hope to instill within them a faith that will last for a lifetime, that they must see and feel our passion for God. Parents must always remember that children are a gift from God. They are entrusted to us for a little while, but ultimately they belong to the Heavenly Father. Our duty is to guide them to submit to His authority in their lives. It's a responsibility with eternal importance and, and paramount urgency. So be sensitive to teachable moments. In addition to regular times of training, church attendance, Sunday school, youth groups, family devotions, there are other opportunities that can maximize informal opportunities that we have to impart spiritual values and, and pass that spiritual torch to our kids. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 remind us. It says, these commandments I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. And then it talks about when you're walking down the, the road, when, when you're tucking the kids in at, at bed, bedtime. Uh, use those moments to, to, to speak spiritually with them, to, to take advantage of those teachable moments uh, to, to share truth. Seize those opportunities as you listen to Christian music, as, as you listen to programming that would help, as you scratch their backs and tell them good night and, and pray with them. And what, what was your day like? What, what can I pray for you about? And, and listen to their concerns and, and take advantage of that teachable moment because there is a window of opportunity that will close as they grow older and you don't want to miss uh, utilizing that platform that to pass the spiritual torch of values. Uh, I remember this passage goes on and talks about you know, putting up uh, notes, post-it notes of, of reminders. And, and my mom did this big time. I've, I've shared before how she put scripture verses and plaques all, all over the, the house. My, my brother and I shared a, a, a bathroom, and on the mirror it said, be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other. I don't know why she thought we needed Ephesians 4.32, but she drilled that one where we'd, we'd see that every day. So th those spiritual signposts in our lives 
can remind us of God's presence and, and his authority over our actions. In his book, Honest to God, Bill Hybels reminds us that nannies, babysitters, daycare workers, and relatives will not give the ultimate account to God for how they raised our children. Parents will. In 1775, Edward Braddock attempted the, the capture of, of Fort Duquesne. The British general brushed aside warnings about the vulnerability of his troops to Indian ambushers. As they neared the fort, the Indians struck, and Braddock's men fought in formations prescribed in the war manuals of England, but they were very ineffective against the hidden Indian attackers who were hiding behind trees and under bushes and, and shooting at them. See, the, the Indians hadn't read the rule book, and they knew how to take advantage of the, the redcoats. And, and so Braddock's response was, we shall better know how to deal with them another time. Unfortunately, Braddock was mortally wounded in the fighting, and, and those became his dying words. He never got another time. Another opportunity never materialized. And often in life, opportunity knocks only once. Most people do not get a second chance as parents. And when your children are grown, it'll be impossible to say, hey, come on home. I, I want to raise you all over. Jeff had a really inspiring message today. I want to try a few of these things and see if it makes a difference this time around. Now we, we get one shot. So let's take advantage of every opportunity God sends our way. God has given us a high calling, a, a spiritual duty to impart his values to the next generation. We're going to fail, but we can do our very best. And when we fail, get up, brush ourselves off and learn from it and, and do better the next way. And I think grandparents have a second chance at parenting through their grandchildren. Those who are spiritual uncles and aunts who are needed can help with this handoff of the torch by being youth sponsors, coaches, teachers, mentors, and influencers. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I want to close with a prayer that was composed by Abigail Van Buren. And would you personalize this and make this your prayer for our families as we conclude this series today? Oh, Heavenly Father, Make me a better parent. Teach me to understand my children, to listen patiently to what they say, and to answer all their questions kindly. Keep me from interrupting them or contradicting them. Make me as courteous to them as I would have them be to me. Forbid that I should ever laugh at their mistakes or resort to shame or ridicule when they displease me. May I never punish them for my own selfish satisfaction or to show my power. Let me not tempt my child to lie or to steal. And guide me hour by hour that I may demonstrate by all I say and do that honesty produces happiness. Reduce, I pray, the meanness in me.
And when I am out of sorts, help me, O Lord, to hold my tongue. May I ever be mindful that my children are children, and I should not expect of them the judgment of adults. Let me not rob them of the opportunity to wait on themselves and to make decisions. Bless me with the bigness to grant them all of their reasonable requests and the courage to deny them privileges I know will do them harm. Make me fair and just and kind. Fit me, O oh Lord, to be loved and respected and imitated by my children. Amen.